Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady and Martin Paloma. Welcome to another edition of Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. I'm your host, Neil McCrady. Today on the show, Martin Palomo, as always, joins. And our special guest today is Alex McDaniel. You know Alex on Twitter. She's with uh, SB Nation with Vox. She uh, will talk about her situation. She's also now a uh, certified kindergarten school teacher without the certification. So we'll, we'll, talk about, uh, we'll talk about all of those things that we're all dealing with here in this really weird times i'll tell you quickly i'm coming to you from the cart ford studios cart fords in amory mississippi 662-257-1900 is the number uh you, you guys know the routine by now you call you ask for Corey. you tell Corey what ford product you're looking for he's going to send you a quote right to the bottom line next time you're in the market for a vehicle even if you're not interested in a ford necessarily call Corey, get a quote it's going to do one of two things it's going to either stop you from getting uh, kind of screwed over somewhere else or it's going to lead you to do what I've done, and that's hop into a Clark Ford. Corey always says he wants to be your car guy. He wants to be your truck guy. He'll prove that to you when you make the call, 662-257-1900. And Martin, tell the people uh, about Pinnacle Trust. Appreciate you. Thanks, Neil. Um, Alex, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Um, I guess I'll kind of keep it keep it a little bit brief. As you kind of said, people are beginning to know the routine, at least our, at least our regular listeners. Um, you know, Pinnacle was started in 97 uh, with our CEO, kind of had a different vision on on how to work with clients with their retirement savings, education planning for kids and grandkids, and um, and really kind of paved the way for uh, for being on the same side of the table with our clients. And, you know, through all of this, through the, the market turmoil, through the economic turmoil, through the virus turmoil, you know, one of the things we've, we've really tried to do and have done a great job of is stay uh, stay out there with information for our clients. Uh, we leverage technology. Um, and, you know, one of the things that uh, if, you know, if you're doing it yourself and you're kind of sick to your stomach because the market's been churning so much or, uh, you know, working with an advisor and you haven't heard any communications from them, whether it be, um, you know, personally or written or uh, through some, some type of audio source, give us a call, 601-957-0323. I'd uh, love to have a conversation. You can listen to any of our updates posted on our website at www.pinntrust.com just to kind of hear our thoughts. Uh, and we're really active on social media as well. So you can find us Facebook, uh, Pinnacle Trust, or the Mind on My Money podcast, uh, and then Twitter as well. Um, so, again, if you want to get, catch us the old-fashioned way, 601-957-0323, uh, email us info at pinntrust.com. Alex McDaniel joins us. I'm a big fan of Alex's. She knows that. I told her this the other day in a in a, a tweet when the news came down about SB Nation and Vox and all of the layoffs because of coronavirus related stuff. I just there it, it has been a it has been a rough time for our field, uh, sports journalism. There are no sports, even though there are a lot of really talented people that are writing a lot of really talented, really insightful uh, sports related topics. Advertising is down. People are scared. Uh, all those things happen. And when people like Alex, and Alex knows I'm not just saying this, when people like Alex get impacted, it for whatever reason, it hits me even, you, know, you see people, it happens with uh, Grant Wall, who's 
probably the best sports, so best soccer writer in, in the country. He gets laid off, his deal with uh, Maven and all of that, which is another topic for another day. But uh, when you see those things happen, you feel bad. When you see things happen to people that you know, and Alex and I don't know each other all that well, but we've, we've crossed circles a lot. We've crossed uh, paths a lot. I'm a huge fan of her work, and, and it really uh, – I'm not ashamed to admit this, Alex, and not just you, but a lot of the people that, that I, I knew those names. I know those people. I follow their work, and it made the weekend uh, really somber for me. I'm just now kind of snapping out of it a little bit. So welcome into the show. Thanks for spending some time with us, and uh, hope you're well. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, um, and thank you for all those nice things. I feel honored that the Neil would say those things about me. Um, yeah, I think, you know, from my perspective, the only reason I even got into sports um, to do what I do was because of a lot of those writers who got furloughed. I loved SB Nation when I was in college and loved Red Cup Rebellion. I loved Spencer Hall and Holly Anderson, and Ryan Nanny. And um, the idea that you could cover something and cover it in depth, but also understand how seriously you weren't supposed to take it to me, just, it was amazing. So it's, it's been a weird few days, obviously, um, for personal reasons, but also because a lot of those names I just never imagined being out of commission for any amount of time. So I know for you, just kind of, we all have our stories about when we realized this was going to be, you know, earth shattering to the point that it was going to impact us. You know what I mean? You know, when 9-11 happened, we all knew, yeah, it's, this is going to impact us. But unless you were in New York or in D.C., I don't know that it, you felt it quite as personally until you went to an airport or whatnot. And then you said, oh, wow, this is different. With, with uh, the COVID thing, I've been telling, I'm sure you've told your son, who's six years old, and he probably doesn't completely understand what you're saying when you say it, but there's going to be a day 50 years from now when he's going to be asked about, what was it like to live through that? My kids are a little older than yours, and I've told them, you guys are going to be this is, this is going to impact your lives probably for the rest of your lives to some degree. When did you realize this was going to be as monumental as it was and sort of take me through kind of the, when you sort of realized, hey, this is, this is probably going to impact me temporarily in a, in a really detrimental way? You know, it's hard to pinpoint, uh, I guess, the exact moment of the exact day. I feel like I've just kind of been in survival mode for a few weeks. Um, for a lot of reasons and i knew when the schools were closing i was i was already worried about what this was going to do to the media industry very worried about being in sports you know, just because of uh, like there, there are none right now um so the pressure was already on for me to try to come up with a way that we could still create innovative content still create content that um people want to read while accepting the fact that we knew our traffic was going to go down a bit um, but also when you add on top of that, having a child, not just teaching a child, but just working with a small child all day, um, I just kind of felt like I had a target on my back and not by anyone in particular. It was just one of those, how can I, and he's actually talking right now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> hey mom. Sorry. Thank you. Um, hold on, bud. She's coming. <laughs> no, it's all good. No, it's all I, good. I get it. I'm in the same um, boat as you. I've got a rug rat running around here that doesn't understand <laughs> there's home recording well, going on. And I just love that I was making this point as that happened. It was perfect. <laughs> um, and so I just, you know, I was struggling to both do my job and feel like I was being a good mom when you had teaching on top of that. Luckily, Vox is wonderful for working parents and uh, schedules are very flexible. And so I was able to kind of move my schedule around. 
and I, I can't say that I knew it was coming in this way, just because different companies have different ways of handling it, pay cuts, layoffs, you know, there were just a lot of different possibilities. I've just, to be honest, I mean, I've just been scared to death for a few weeks. And, um, yeah. you know, there's really no other way to say that. And I think part of you can compartmentalize, like, here's the job I have to do today, and I'm going to get through today, and that's fine. But it's really hard to get through today when you have a child and you're thinking, hey, if I lose this job or if anything happens to it, what's my next plan? Like, you've always got to be thinking one step ahead. And I know I'm rambling, and this is not a very complete answer, but. No, it's a really um, good answer, actually. Yeah, I just, uh, I was kind of waiting for it. When I heard there were furloughs, I was, first reaction was I was glad that they weren't full on layoffs and we're not, none of us are guaranteed to come back and we know that. Um, but I guess it was just hard seeing so many people from SB Nation wiped out because Vox has a lot of verticals. We have Vox.com, Polygon, The Verge, Eater, Curbed. Um, for it to impact the majority of us, I would say 95% of flagship.com and then um, I believe there were furloughs on the team site side as well, because those are two different divisions. It was, even when you know it's coming, it happens, and then you're like, okay, well, <laughs> let's, let's just figure out what we're going to do. And, you know, I struggle all the time with thinking, you know, thank God I'm not sick. Thank God my family's okay. Thank God I have a mom's house to come to, um, to visit, you know, whenever I, I go through something like this. Um, but it's hard. I don't think anybody knows their feelings. I don't think anybody knows what to do with um, how we have conversations about our individual struggles because somebody right. always has it worse. And so how do you have a conversation about that, especially on social media or anything without it turning into a typical Twitter fight? Yeah, Twitter Twitter can be a really bad place. Uh, pandemics, pandemics bring out the absolute best and the absolute worst in Twitter. And I don't know that there's anything in between. It feels like yeah. there's extremes, you know. So you, you've been, you also, the, the job you never got signed up for that you, you, you don't get paid to do is, uh, is teach. And now you're teaching a kindergartner. What has that been like? I'll, I'll give you an example because I have a, I have a seven, my youngest is a seventh grader who's normally just a, I mean, I'm not bragging on him. It just is what it is. He, he got the absolute best set of genes from both Laura and me. And he's just been a breeze throughout life. He, He's really good at school. We get all these notes from his teachers about what a wonderful kid he is and all that stuff. And so we've just never, it's never been an issue. And he came down the other day and he's just in tears. He's just wiped out. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a combination of things, right? It's, he, he can't see his friends. He doesn't get to go to his soccer practices anymore. He, he was looking forward to these basketball tryouts with this great attitude of, Hey, I'm probably not going to make it, but I've been working really hard and, he sees the Michael Jordan stuff. You know, Michael Jordan didn't make it as a sophomore, but he made it and look at, you know, it's all this stuff. And he was excited about all this stuff and all that stuff's been taken away and there's no way to get the hell out of the house and you're just sitting up there doing busy work and it's mentally, it's, 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 it's it fries him. And he came down and he was just kind of upset. And I don't, I probably would not appreciate me saying this on the podcast, but <laughs> you know, it was, it was, it was heartbreaking. And, and, and I, I don't even, I can't honestly remember what it was like when my kids were six, but I do remember that they had these, the beginnings of social lives, right? They saw these people at school every day. They're close to their teachers. That's a, that's a different kind of a bond for a, a young kid, boys and girls. They get really close to a teacher. A teacher's there every day, kind of a rock. And all of a sudden the teacher's gone. I know there might be some Zoom classes or stuff, but it's not the same. They don't get to see their friends. They don't get to go play on the playground, swing on the swings and run around and play their games. 
And now they got to deal with mom or dad or whatever all day long. And mom and, and or dad are distracted because they have jobs. And we don't know what the hell we're doing. I, don't, I can't teach. And so it's, it's this traumatic thing. And so for someone like you, it just take us through what, what each day was sort of like or is still like trying to get something educational out of the day while at the same time not completely losing your sanity. Um, yeah, you know, it's on the one hand, it's kindergarten. And so as far as teaching it, I feel like it's probably easier <laughs> than a lot of other things. He also, um, he attends a great school in Birmingham and um, his teacher is very involved. She actually, we live on a third floor apartment with a balcony and she came to talk to him the other day and stood at the bottom of the balcony. So like they could talk very hands on. Um, you know, it's, I think again, it's a day by day thing. It was so sad. He had his first soccer game ever um, the Saturday before all of this went down. And um, his dad, who's also a sports journalist, he's a sports editor in Birmingham. Um, you know, obviously we're excited. Like we're sports fans. This was his first sport. He had a blast. Um, I think he's young enough that it doesn't affect him as much socially just because he's so young and it's his first year. Yeah. Obviously he misses his friends. You can tell when he gets stir crazy. Um, but it's, you know, I just try to manage it. Usually I spend the mornings doing his little assignments or whatever they give us. He's a reader, like he loves to read, reads anything you give him. So doing a lot of reading, writing, but I've also, I'm very bad at this, but I've tried to give myself a break when days just don't go the way they're supposed to. Um, you know, I'm a big, I hate cheesy things on the internet, like Pinterest and things like that, but I am a big <laughs> fan of those memes that are suddenly like, Hey, parents, you weren't designed to do this. This isn't how it's supposed to be. So uh, I think it's constantly juggling that. Like you, you want to do the best for them, but some days if they're just not feeling it and they're frustrated, like forcing them to you know, write a bunch of spelling words down, it can wait until tomorrow and you don't have to feel so guilty about it. Um, you know, I'm certainly not excited, but once school is out, I think I'll feel like things are more manageable. It's just, you're kind of trying to be all things to all people. And uh, it's, I don't know, it's tough. And you want to, you always want to be the best parent for your kid, but it just kind of makes you realize teachers deserve a billion dollars a year. Yes, <laughs> they do. <clears throat> teachers could come out of this and, and uh, when this is over, they could, and hopefully this is over in time for them to go back to school in August. The teachers could stage a little mini walkout <laughs> and, and go in with a salary demand and they just might get it. It might be the greatest GoFundMe of all time where it's like, hey, here, here, take it. Just yep. take my money. <laughs> you can have it. I'm dropping the little guy off till 3.15. I just, here's my bank account. There's not much left in it, but go for it. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And, I, you know, he's just very lucky. He has a, a wonderful school. Um, but he just, I hate that he doesn't get the little kindergarten graduation and little musical and stuff and it's just an unprecedented time um and he you know it'll be a joke to him when he's an adult but i just can't wait to tell him like you had two sports journalists for parents who went through this and luckily um his dad works for al.com and they found out last week they're gonna have two week furloughs that they can take whenever they want um and a pay cut and it, that's terrible but it's still we were both worried that there could be a possibility that we might be furloughed for um a long time and whenever there's a small child involved <laughs> Like, come on, just give me a break. So, so obviously, obviously, Alex, we're in the same boat here. Like, we, I, I need a. People say, do you? What do, what do you think about football? I mean, they're like people will say, I, I want football season, and I'm always like, man, there's a. Let me, let me explain something to you. There's a difference between want and need. You know, we we do this with with uh, you know your kids will come down and say, I want a 
PlayStation, whatever. Like, well, yeah. that's fine, but you don't need one right now. I don't just want a football season. I mean, I want a football season. I, I like football. I, I, I enjoy football. I want football, but I need football. You need football. We need sports to come back. It's the topic that gets brought up all the time. I'm sure you have this conversation with people every single day. I know I do. I, I, everybody I talk to, it's now, it's the one thing I, I'm trying to elicit information out of people. And I'm not sure that the people even know the answer. What is kind of your feeling right now for what the sports landscape looks like going into the summer, going into the fall? What's just kind of your, what, what, what's your feeling about it? And what are some of the, the markers you're looking for? I mean, I think even though, um, so, you know, Banner Society is our college football site at SB Nation. So I don't directly have my hand in college football, though I'd certainly say that's my sport. It's my emphasis. It's the one that I like personally and professionally. Um, so to me, kind of been watching that with a little bit of dread because not just personally, I mean, yeah, I'd miss it, of course, but um, yeah. it's to me, it's just impossible to say whether things will be back because I don't think anything's going to come back normally as it is. Um, I know there's been a lot of talk about uh, doing it without fans, but then I think you get into a position where if you're going to call them amateurs and you're going to say they're not your employees, but then you're going to, be, yeah, you just can't, you can't do that. So. I don't know about you, not to, not to interrupt you. I nope. can't, I, I've had this conversation with so many people. I cannot. And like, I have the utmost respect for Ross Dellinger. I wish I had one fifth of the talent that Ross has as a writer, as a reporter, as a storyteller. He, he, he has said he, you know, he talks to people and, and, and there's a path to college football with no fans. And I can't name the coach, but I talked to a pretty high profile coach yesterday who agreed with me, who said, just don't see it. I don't know how we do that. I don't, I don't know beyond the virus, beyond all of that. I don't know how we get to that place where we let, we let the toothpaste out of the tube. You, you, you're, you're not getting it back in, you know, I mean, it's not gonna happen like that. And so if you, if you play the games, if you say to the student athlete, and I use that term somewhat sarcastically, but if you say to the student athlete, so here's the thing, um, I'll use Jalen Hurts as an example. Here's the deal, Jalen, it's not safe for your family. Your dad can't come. Your mom can't come. Your brothers and sisters can't come. Your friends can't come. Now, the student body that you represent at Alabama, at Oklahoma, whatever school you want him to play for at this point, they can't come either. The band that they that plays, they can't come. The, the, the cheerleaders can't come. The dance team, they can't come. Um, but it's safe for you, and you're going to be out on a field swapping sweat and saliva and potentially blood in a football's a contact sport. Basketball's a contact sport. Soccer is a contact sport. I, I, I don't know how you can say that. And if you get even beyond football, do it with, with soccer. How does, you know, Matt Mott, the Ole Miss soccer coach, lives in my neighborhood, and, and, and I'm, I don't think I'm violating a confidence when I, when I said this with him. How can you say, how can he tell the young women who play in his program, so it's not safe for your parents, it's not safe for your friends, it's not safe for the people that, uh, that you want to play in front of. It's not safe for them, but it's safe for you. And, and hey, if you guys, you know, if you... If, if, if uh, you know, something happens and, and you, you collide with somebody and, and their sweat gets in your mouth or in your eyes or whatever, it's, it's all good. I, I, don't, I don't see a scenario where that happens. I, I, I can't make myself get there. Yeah, and I understand 
looking at all possible scenarios right now, but we also can't forget we're dealing with a virus that we really don't understand and we don't know if we can trust um, what we do think we understand about it. Um, and I could go off on a tangent about that, but I won't. Um, it, it's just one of those things that because so many questions are unanswered, because we don't know when a treatment or a vaccine will happen, because we just don't know enough, you're really admitting like whatever the solution is, if you still have sports in some form, that you're taking a chance. It, it, it's, believe me, it's not that I, I want them to go away, obviously. Um, it's just, you're gonna have to answer for a lot more, I think, if they try to do this um, without fans, especially when we're talking about college sports. Um, I just, I think it's a mess that nobody wants to get into, but at the same time, then you get the arguments of, but the money, we gotta make, well, everybody understands the money. It's not that uh, I'm out here, you know, with a moral compass, like you shouldn't care about, it. I get it. Believe me, universities depend on this money. Um, obviously I think a lot about my own alma mater and what this could potentially do to it and just the state of Mississippi in general. I, I just don't see it. And there are a lot of people much smarter than I am who are working towards solutions both in the virus and this, but um, this isn't gonna be like a one or the other situation and anybody who willingly puts these kids at risk or tries to even like take away the risk for a second. College football, especially, is so experiential. We give, I mean, I wouldn't be an Ole Miss fan if it wasn't experiential. If this was all about wins and losses, believe me, I would have moved on a while ago. Um, but it's just in general, you know, for the fans, because you're basing that on the assumption that fans are still just going to pile up and watch. Well, not. A lot of people love attending games, a lot of especially students, but they don't necessarily want to watch them. And especially when you think about um, doing it in an empty stadium without fans, it's just it's not going to be the same experience. So it's not a simple fix to say, oh, just do the game, just don't do the fans. Well, you're really taking away most of why people invest in this. You know, you know, it's interesting because if, if you talk to some TV people, they'll tell you. We don't know. No one. The, the true answer to so many of these questions is, I don't know. We yeah. could sit here and go back and forth with I don't know a thousand times, and it would be, wouldn't be the most compelling podcast ever, but it might be the most accurate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I've talked to some TV people who say, you know, what's interesting about college football is, and college sports in general, from a from a TV from a contract standpoint, Florida versus Georgia in Jacksonville is so much more than. Florida versus Georgia, you know, can Kirby Smart win the East? Can can Dan Mullen get? Uh, it's past all that. It's about this stadium split in half, and and the culture of of these fan bases coming together in Jacksonville and hanging out on the landing and all this stuff and the party and and all of the the aura and the the crossover of of fandom. And if you're in TV, if you're CBS, which carries that game every year, that's part of the story that makes it compelling to the guy that's sitting at his home in Wyoming yeah. on that day in October. If you take all of that away and all you have left is basically a glorified football scrimmage with nobody at the game, there's no Georgia fight song, there's no Florida fight song, there's no uh, Gator mascot doing the chomp thing, there's no Ugga on the sideline to show where the Vern Lundquist can talk about the dog for a minute. There's none of that stuff that we all just sort of take for granted because it's always sort of been there. If none of that stuff's there, is it is it even a compelling product anymore? I'm not saying it's not a good product. It's still good football. But is it a compelling product to the casual person who it's a Saturday afternoon who really doesn't care 
whether Florida beats Georgia or vice versa, but they love the pageantry of it all. If you take away the pageantry, is the contract worth the same amount that it was worth? And a lot of people say, I don't know. And this is where lawyers get involved. And I don't know. I have obviously talked a lot about this over the past week. And something I said the other day, I was like, just imagine some of the most memorable games of the past 10 years. And now imagine them without fans, like the kick six. If there hadn't exactly. Been um, sure, you would have still loved Burns call. And I mean, it's great. But I mean, I think people underestimate how much game day atmosphere plays into the quality of the product. And even the best Alabama or LSU or Clemson team that you've seen, still imagining a lot of those games without fans is kind of lackluster. I think about Ole Miss, Alabama in 2014. Can exactly. you imagine? It just would have been Bo walking around like, like what I did. Um, but just when I think but about you wouldn't that, have you wouldn't have had Katy Perry on the no. sideline. You wouldn't have had the, the Grove jam packed with game day. And in that moment, you know, the moment that's the, it's probably the most compelling Ole Miss, with the exception maybe of the Sugar Bowl win, it's that this it's the signature Ole Miss game of the last 20 years probably. And what made it that way was Vern Lundquist looking out over that sea of humanity that was bought Hemingway Stadium at that moment as the goalposts come down, and, and it overwhelmed him. He's a guy that covers big games all the time. Yeah. And he gets a little choked up about it because it's this – crystal clear beautiful fall day in oxford and Ole miss finally did it but you're right if there's no fans there eh, i mean it's it's a good game it's still an entertaining game but you lose all of that stuff and i don't know that the networks want to do that and it's different than an nba game where hey lebron james goes against paul george and they do it in some isolated deal in las vegas where you know when you watch the nba you watch the nba for the players yeah you know you, you watch k can, can LeBron get 40 again? You, you, you watch to see, you know, can James Harden take the Rockets to the next level here? You watch to see Russell Westbrook. When you watch college football, you, you watch for all the other stuff, too. That's the reason that it's the only sport, right? In the NFL, they don't do the on-site shows until late in the playoffs. In college football, starting in week one, I mean, Herb Street and those guys, they're all on-site someplace, and it's about the pageantry of Tiger Stadium or North Dakota State or whatever. If you don't have all that, I don't, I don't know, I don't know that it's the same thing. It's why I, I, I don't the, the the whole. I'm being really long-winded here. I apologize. It's the when people do this about we're going to play, we're just going to honor the TV contract. I'm not even sure that honors the TV contract. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, I think, and I've studied sports and identity for a long time um, from grad school on because it's always been something that fascinated me, and I think it explains so much of this so well and it informs a lot of the stories that I do because that's the part that I care about the most is how people are drawn, especially to college teams um, as part of their identity and how, you know, if you went to Auburn, that says something about you compared to if you went to Alabama and, and some of it's stereotype and some of it is truly what people believe about themselves. And so I, I think a huge part of the appeal and even if you want to take it one step further and just talk about the SEC just meaning more it is this idea that people have, um, sorry, phone ringing. No, you're okay. good. Um, this idea that people have that there is something special, that it is more than a game. And, you know, even <laughs> all my friends listening will probably laugh at me about this because I always bring up Ole Miss Alabama. But when I think about that game, yeah, I watch the whole game. I'd rewatch the game. But when I think, like, what are the memories that pop up? They're the goalposts, they're the Grove, Katy Perry. 
I mean, you brought up a great point. Like that's what people are buying into. You can see good football in a lot of different ways. I mean, there's lots of good football to be had and it's great, but there's this idea that everybody's connected by this love for one thing, that everybody's connected by this love for one school, that everyone's connected by this hatred for another school. Um, you just don't have, you can't social distance that, you know, you can't uh, recreate it. And a lot of people think that's a, a silly way of looking at it and it's shallow, but I'm telling you, people really don't understand how much of that they buy into. Even the most diehard sports fans who can name every stat for the past hundred years, they buy into that more than they think they do. So there's two things, Alex, that I'm sort of watching for in the next, I don't know what's today, April the 21st. I think the next six like to that. eight weeks, I think six to eight weeks, I'm kind of looking at it. You know, my daughter goes to University of Arkansas, and uh, you know, speaking of bad football, um, <laughs> she, <laughs> she goes to Arkansas. And so we got a, an email from the chancellor yesterday that was, hey, our plan is, uh, you know, our plan is absolutely to have students back on campus in August, which I said, amen. Thank you, sir. Go Hawks. And, but he said, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you we, we are exploring alternative plans. And I just thought, okay, that's the first thing. The first call that's got to get made, and I can't think of his name, whether it's the president or the chancellor of the University of South Carolina. He said, look, I'd like to make this call by May 15th, but I, I can wait till June 15th. Can't really wait past June 15th. Yeah. And I'm paraphrasing him a little bit, but so somewhere between now and June 15th, some of these chancellors, and it's not just SEC, it's throughout the Power Five, all that stuff, they've got to make these calls about bringing kids to campus. Is it safe to bring, you know, in Alabama's case, 30,000 students to campus? Auburn, same thing. Is it safe to bring that many kids to campus, put them in dorms, put them in classrooms, put them in health facilities where they can go work out or whatever it is that we all took for granted that we did in college or our kids do in college? And then the second thing, and my friend Jenna Fryer had a column in uh, she's with the Associated Press. She covers uh, motorsports. She wrote about NASCAR being desperate was the word that she used for money purposes. They are desperate to get back on the track, even if without fans, because they they can have a made-for-TV product. You don't you don't watch a NASCAR race to see the fans. You watch sure. the NASCAR race to see the cars, see the drivers, all that stuff. Right. And they're desperate to do it. Texas is willing to take them. Florida is willing to take them. They've got to get clearance from help people. And so that's the other thing that I'm watching because I firmly believe, and I think you'll agree, feel free to tell me I'm an idiot. You won't be the first person even today. Um, I think college sports can't go first. Someone has to go first. College, college can go second. I don't think they can go first. I think somebody, whether it's the NBA, whether it's, the, uh, whether it's NASCAR, someone's going to have to be the pioneer here, Major League Baseball, who says, okay, here's how we go back. Here's how we did it. See, it kind of worked where college football can say, okay, there's a path here. Even if it means we don't start till October the 8th or whatnot, there's a path here and we're going to, we can follow it. I think those two things have to happen. Kids have to be on campus in classes, going to accounting 101 or whatever. And, and you've got to have another sport, no matter what it is, it's golf, NASCAR, MLB, whatever, that's back playing competitively, even if it's without fans in the stands, where you say, okay, there's a path here. I agree with that. And I think a great template for that, not great, didn't work out very well, but when all this went down, it's because an NBA player tested positive. And I, I told people, if that didn't happen, you go farther into the basketball tournaments. They would not have been called up as soon as they were. I don't think they would have made it to the end 
but that's what set all of this off and we can't really forget that um and then it does give college sports kind of a thing to say well if it's important enough for them to do it then we can do it and they don't have to be necessarily the ones taking the heat for it um and i agree and it's, it goes back to the same thing as like i don't know i don't know what's going to happen but i do think having a path to follow is not going to come from college sports i do think it'll be something else um a friend of mine actually he's a nascar driver he went to Ole miss and i've been following him like doing his iRacing stuff every day and um you know for someone like him who's a, a small team he doesn't have huge sponsors like the fate of the next year of his life really as to what he's going to do whether he's going to have to go back and do something else um rides on how they handle this and i think nascar is probably the perfect sport for that because you're right nobody's really checking out the crowds i mean we all love a good talladega story but it, you know it's, it's more <laughs> yeah. normal yeah, than, yeah. than anything else um and maybe that is the way forward for this and i wish um obviously we all wish we had clear answers i think there's a huge assumption that goes back to social media like twitter and facebook mentality there's this idea that there are people out there rooting for the economy to fail or rooting for there's not sports and that's just i mean i'm sure there are some terrible people out there who want that but that's just not the case i mean i didn't come into this wanting to lose my job for three months i didn't just even personally like i will very much miss the grove for a year and it'll be fine (laughs) you know like that's all i can really say is it'll be okay I just think any decision made where you're fully admitting, like we're going to have to just consider lives lost or lives um, put at risk, just the price we have to pay. Um, Any decision like that is where you get into rough territory. And uh, that's why I say a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me are, thank God, in charge of figuring it all out. It'll be interesting. Mondo My Money is also brought to you by The Refrigeration Company. TRC is owned and operated by Jeremy Watler, who's been in the refrigeration field for more than 20 years, including five as a national service manager. At TRC, they understand that great service means being responsive. They're highly trained, responsible, and dedicated staff are available 24-7 to ensure your complete satisfaction. They specialize in ammonia refrigeration, but work on any other HFC, HCFC, or CO2 systems. They're building winning relationships with customers in baking, cold storage warehouses, ice production facilities, and facilities serving dairy, food, poultry, and catfish processing. They're based in Spanish Fort, Alabama, but they're licensed in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, and South Carolina as well. TRC can handle all of your company's refrigeration needs, including installation, fabrication, service, compressor rebuilds, ammonia detection calibration, vibration analysis, and more. To learn more, call Jeremy Watler, 251-348-8533, or email him at jeremy at com. You can also follow TRC at The Refrigeration Company on Facebook or at their website, therefridgeco.com. The podcast also brought to you by Elite Dental Care, with offices throughout West Tennessee in Germantown, Jackson, and Trenton. Elite Dental Care has five doctors with more than 75 years of combined experience And with their different areas of expertise, the doctors at Elite Dental Care offer convenience along with the latest in technology. In addition, Elite Dental Care is a family practice, so the entire family can be seen no matter age or severity of problems. Elite Dental Care focuses on staying up to date on all the latest technology, including intraoral cameras, digital x-rays and impressions, 3D x-rays, and more. 
There are TVs and radios in every room, giving patients the comforts of home, and all while they receive the most modern technological treatment. Elite Dental Care offers both conscious sedation and IV sedation for patients that are anxious or scared, or for those that might not be fearful but just have a lot of work to do and can't afford to take time off work for multiple visits. With sedation, Elite Dental Care is able to get much more work done in one visit, ultimately saving the patient time and money. So if you're looking for a dentist in West Tennessee or the Memphis area, call Dr. Mark Harper, Dr. Clint Buchanan, and Dr. Mike Farah at Elite Dental Care. It's EliteDentalCare.com, or you can follow them on Instagram and or Facebook. You know, I, I read that email yesterday from the, the chancellor at Arkansas, Shimitz or something like that is his name. You think I'd know, but I don't. And and uh, anyway, he seems like a very smart guy. It's a very well-written um, letter. And I thought, actually, my wife, Laura, we were sitting out there, and she said, you know, think about how much more we know today than we knew the day that Rudy Gobert and the Thunder Jazz game stopped. Like you said, the night that it all went, oh, here we go. It's it's going to happen fast now, and it did. And she makes a good point. It's been 30 – it's been basically five weeks since then. Yeah. What might we know in five weeks? Five weeks from right now, we might know a whole lot more about the virus where we can make far more educated decisions about, okay, here's what – here's now what we really believe is the death rate. Here's what we – here's how aggressive we think this is. This is how uh, you could uh, – isolate and trace and that kind of thing and and there's ways to do this there five i mean i i I refuse to completely give up hope right that in five or six weeks we can't there's a lot of really smart people working on this that can't hey there's a treatment that if you as soon as you have symptoms there's a treatment that you can take that basically negates those symptoms unless you are you know 75 or older or unless you are have some certain pre-morbidities where we can talk about here's exactly what those are we might be there right now. That's why when people say, what do you think? And I say, I don't know. Yep. And they get mad or frustrated or I get, the, like you said, that you just don't want the season. No, no, I want the season. Yeah. I was going to cover Lane Kiffin in year one. This was, this was not going – I don't have to be very talented to sell Lane Kiffin in year one at Ole Miss. It's like, okay, <laughs> here's the ball. Go. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it, this is – I've covered nothing against Matt Luke or – I mean, you know, Houston Nutt or some of the more conservative type of people that I've covered. This was this is going to be a walk in the park from a football coverage standpoint. It's Lane Kiffin. Yeah. It's, something's going to happen, and I got it. I got this. <laughs> so, no, I, I, I desperately want a season. I just don't know that today I can answer that question about whether we can get to that place or not. Although I, I am finding myself, for whatever reason, and this is not my nature, to be somewhat optimistic that we're going to have some breakthroughs that make it more possible my my stock answer when I get asked, and I'm, so I'll ask you your stock answer in a minute. Mine is, I don't think they start on time, but for some reason, I just think they start. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I generally agree with that. I'm in, in not even that I disagree or I'm hesitant. I think I'm just in the same line of thinking of until we have a clearer picture um, of how the virus is going to progress. And obviously, I think a big missing component that gets lost in a lot of these arguments is that the medical community and the scientific community, they have to have time to test and to measure. And it's, again, it's not a matter of people not wanting there to be a solution. Um, Yeah, I could see a lot of timetables getting turned around. But if you, I mean, the thing is, if the 
do get to a point where they say we can start in October. You're going to have people, you're going to have an audience. It's not like there's any danger of losing people who want this to happen. So, um, you know, it's just such an unprecedented time. And it's one of those things I always, I've said it like five times in this interview, taking it day by day because the future is a little too much to even think about right now. But, and I think a lot of columns have written about this too the time when we need sports more than ever is the time that it's gone. Yep. And, and I also make the joke. It's also the most Ole Miss thing ever that, uh, <laughs> you know, baseball season, Lane Kiffin's first year, like, yeah, this, we would get a global pandemic um, <laughs> during, <laughs> during all of this. So um, I try to stay lighthearted about it, but yeah. it, it would happen. Like- it would happen the one year. I hate spring football. I'll freely admit it. I despise it. I hate covering spring football. And this was the one year I was actually looking forward to it. I'm like, we're, yeah. I'm going to be able to sell this. I got a baseball team that's 16 and one. Everybody's excited. And I've got a, I've, I've got a football coach and program that kind of resembles a circus in a fun way for the first yeah. time. It was the opposite of the Hugh Freeze circus where it was like, oh, this is, there's a, there's a striking cobra in every other door, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, exactly. this, this is, this was going to be, oh, this is go to the greatest show on earth and just have fun. Yes. Free cotton candy for everyone. And, and, and so it was going to be easy to sell. So yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, it's ironic that it would happen on this particular spring. I mean, I, it was a bad joke, but I said, there was a few Hugh Freeze springs where, why couldn't this happen then? Oh, I know. I could think of a lot of years. It would have been more convenient. And I even think too, you know, on the last day of February, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, working on a profile by Andy Kennedy and he was in studio that day. And I had a hunch a few weeks earlier. I was like, he's going to get hired this year. And I, I had a uh, suspicion it was going to be UAB, but I, I just felt it. I'm like, someone's going to yeah. hire him. So let me get the story now of just what he's like as a broadcaster, because that's what interested me. And it's just funny because that was right before everything happened. We're sitting in the studio, like the news comes on the screen and coronavirus and like everyone's rooms just kind of like brushing it off because they all were at this point. It's like, ah, oh, well, we'll see what happens. People make a few jokes about it nothing irresponsible, just basically the way we were framing the conversation, I guess. And then in a matter of weeks, not only does this take over, but he gets hired at UAB. Like I talked to him on the phone to follow up with him the other day. And it, it was just funny because that first interview, it's like, yeah, it's Andy Kennedy. He's working the room, you know? And then <laughs> he sounds so tired on the second call because he's been recruiting and he got hired. And you look at how fast that changes in sports anyway, just how much can change there. But this is Burlington's really excited about him, and they should be. And even he is like, he get, gets hired in the middle of a pandemic. He has to recruit differently all of a sudden. He's having to do a lot of things without even knowing if the season is going to look like what it should look like or what it's supposed to look like. And um, I'm finishing up that story right now, so hopefully that'll publish next week. But I think you'll find a lot of, of examples in this of just the things we take for granted because we had no reason not to. I have a question to kind of th- get, I want y'all's thoughts because as we were kind of, t- as I'm listening to you guys talk about, about this, it's kind of, um, so I, I help run a, a soccer club in Jackson and, you know, of course this has impacted youth sports everywhere, uh, youth soccer as well. And, you know, our state association did the right thing, um, you know, delayed uh, coming back to the fields. Uh, we're delayed till May 15th, but they sent, I received an email from the state association this morning. It was all to all the administrators, um, you know, saying that we're, we're going to go back May 15th tryouts for competitive are going to be June 15th. And as we were kind of talking about, 
you know, as Neil was talking about it, you know, it's not safe for your parents and your fans and the cheerleaders to be at football games. And I kind of just did some, I was thinking in my head, well, like how many division one Saturday football games are there? And I just said, you know, there's probably what, maybe 80, uh, 80, 90, a hundred games in a day all over the nation. And if there's just call it, let's just say it's a hundred just for easy math. And let's say an average of 25, 30,000 fans. Cause some stadiums are smaller than others. And I was like hundred games, 30,000 fans. I mean, that's a lot of people. That's 3 million. Let's just call it 3 million people. And I started thinking about all of the youth sports all over the nations where, you know, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, whether it's soccer, I was like, man, there's exponentially more people, you know, surrounding those events too. You know, I wonder, is this, is it the same impact, you know, because for us, what happened for us with the soccer club, and I'm sure it's the same in Oxford for you guys, Neil, and then and Alex in Birmingham, probably the same for the, you know, the Alex the, had Alex has not yet had her first taste of uh, travel soccer. That, well, not travel still, yet, but she, but they, they, they he was in his first season. Road, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah first a, season. You, you walk onto a onto a complex in Memphis out there at uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, micros. Micros. Yeah. And, and it, 82 gazillion fields yep all over six states they're all packed into a in, in there watching soccer i have yeah. wondered like what happens to that anyway go ahead i'm sorry no i mean that was i was i was you know as you guys were talking about it i had not thought about it from the youth perspective but i mean so you think about across the country let's let's use micros as a as a great because that's an that's a great example the you know germantown invitational tournament draws teams from i don't know probably 20 states um and it's a massive complex. There's a lot of folks there, and that and that type of stuff is happening every weekend in Memphis at that at that complex. And I just wondered, you know, how does youth sport? What, what's the impact to youth sports? Because I know our club, we are a not for profit. We run on really, really, really thin margins. I mean, super thin margins because we're not trying to make, you know, money. We're just trying to keep the thing afloat and pay coaches and get, you know, jerseys and pay for tournaments. But, you know, I know we had a little bit of money in the bank, so we were able to pay our coaches through the rest of the year. But, you know, if we don't if if we don't have anything in the fall, you know, some of those coaches and soccer probably more prevalent than others. Some of those coaches go back to their home countries, whether it's England, Ireland, Brazil, Panama. Um, you know, we have a lot of and I'm sure Neil and Oxford's the same way. You know, you hear a lot of those foreign accents when you're when you're on the soccer fields and. You know, and I'm just curious, baseball too, is that, you know, it'd be wild to say that we can't have college football, we can't have professional football, no MLB, because it's not safe, and then we go put our six-year-olds and, you know, our eight-year-olds and 10-year-olds and 15-year-olds on the field and say, well, it's okay for them to do it, but it's not okay for, you know, the pros. My short answer is I don't know. <laughs> I like it, you know. I mean, I... I don't know There's either. freedom in admitting that too. Yeah, I, yeah, this is my first, like, I was so looking forward to being a soccer mom because I didn't play sports when I was, I was a band girl all the way, which could be a sport if you think about it. I was it. a band nerd um, too. I played yeah. soccer and I played drums. Yeah, and I just, I was so excited and I grew up around um, also not very athletic people, so this was very new <laughs> to me. And, uh, you know, and I know all that'll come back one day and everything, but yeah, it's, it, you think about all the people that are involved in just one tiny little kindergartner soccer game, and hopefully, you know, I say probably at least once a day, 
I hope if nothing else, we all come out of this whole experience appreciating things a lot more than we do. And I realize that's not an answer and it doesn't pay anybody's bills, but I just really hope we do because I think this is the first time a lot of us have had to stop and really think about how every person is a piece of a puzzle that's much bigger than us. And sure. we can we can have our divisions all we want and we can you know draw our lines in the sand, but um, just watching how this has affected people on so many levels, hopefully, um, it'll help us at least begin to try to understand the things that we don't. It's like the I don't know answer. I'm perfectly fine with saying I don't know. There's a lot of freedom in that. Um, but I think we've gotten to a point where before all this happened, it's just hard to talk to people now without there just being an automatic tension, automatic, you know, we're going to disagree on something. And I'm I mean, not everything is so political. Yeah, and I'm not the person saying that the political discussion shouldn't be. It's just we're in such a confusing time where people, <laughs> yes. we just all kind of feel like we're at war, I guess. I'm not really articulating this very well. And Wait. I just hope we can come out of it in sports and every other facet, um, understanding that people are having struggles that we don't even understand. And if we take that into account, um, then dealing with people. So I hope that my mom's cackling in there, by the way. You know, it's <laughs> funny. And, and we're really close to wrapping up, I promise. It's funny you say that. I was, I was talking to my daughter and her roommate, uh, who's easily her best friend, and they're really tight. And, and it's, it's funny because I've been a sports – I was a sports nut as a kid and always have been and, and, and played and all that. And my girls are just not sports fans. They, they – you know, it's just – dad didn't take them to games because dad had to go work the games. And so they're into other things. And so Campbell, I mentioned her. She's at Arkansas. Arkansas is so bad. <laughs> you know, she went, <laughs> she went to the Texas A&M game because it was the party in Dallas. Sure. And, uh, and she came back here for the Ole Miss game. And, and uh, you know, some of her, she brought a bunch of her friends from Arkansas. And they came. I'll never forget. You know, they went partied in Oxford after the game for a little while. And they came in. And one of her friends was from Iowa. And, I stayed up just to kind of make sure. I mean, I'm not stupid. I knew a few of them had been drinking. I was going to make mm -hmm. sure everything would be all right, you know, because I felt yeah. responsible for other people's daughters. And the girl came and she goes, we suck. And I was like, yeah, yep, you do. You're really bad. And anyway, Campbell didn't, she, you know, they were so bad by the end of the year, you know, they played 11 a.m. games every single week. And, you know, her deal was, okay, well, I'll take that 11 a.m. time, I'll study, I'll get my laundry done and all that so that I can go party that night, <laughs> yeah. which made sense. And she said to me, she said, you know what? I don't care how bad we are. If, if, if we have a season, I'm going. I'm going. I'm going to the games. I'm going to the basketball games. Uh, I, I don't really care if we're good or bad. I'm just going. I'm going to yeah. go. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take advantage of all that stuff. I'm not going to sit in my room. I'm going to go to the game, I, even, if, even if we're just awful. Because yeah. in the end, it doesn't, like you said, you know, it doesn't really, you, it, you don't go, to, with the exception of Alabama and all you out there, Roll Tide, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we don't, we don't, you don't go to the games for the wins and the losses. You really don't. You go yeah. for the experience and stuff. And so, I don't know, I'm with you. I, I, and I do think, and I'll, so I'll finish with this. When we get back to covering sports again, I, I have this feeling, especially for those of us that cover college sports, that we're going to have a different tone to our stories. Is going to be. I, I I catch myself looking forward to getting into the stands and talking to people about, hey, just Joe Schmo and Jenny Schmo, how excited are you just to be here? Yeah. Forget no, whether Ole Miss beats Auburn today or not. Ten years from now, it doesn't matter. 
hell, 10 weeks from now, it might not matter. Yeah. But you got to be here. What was it like? What was today like? You know, because there was a lot of uncertainty about whether today would happen. And I think if, if that day does come, I think I think the way we do our jobs changes a little bit. Yeah. And I think it could be a very good thing. I mean, most of the sports stories, I started out in news and magazines. I was not a sports reporter. Um, and it was about halfway through my career that I was, I really fell in love with telling fan focused stories. And so I think even those stories are going to change because you are just going to have people who are, you know, just happy to be there. It's like that t-shirt. I just hope both teams have fun. Um, <laughs> and I think we'll probably embrace that a little more. Um, you know, I even had a, a very silly, stupid thought a week ago. It was like, hey, maybe even the Egg Bowl rivalry will calm down. And then that stupid poll about the stadiums proved that's not going to happen. So no. it's like, like, some things aren't going to change and we can accept that for what they are. But, um, you know, I agree. But I also think this is just testament to why people invest in sports. If you're not a sports fan, a lot of people look at this, they look down on it and they say, it's silly. Why do you care about a team? Because they don't understand the bigger story. They don't understand um, how much of a part of our identities, much of a part of our families um, that this is. I mean, I taking my son to the Grove is there's some of the best memories I've made with him, you know, and his dad went to Maryland, so he didn't really get a good luck at the draw with his sports team. <laughs> um, and he's a Jets fan, which is just, that's another story altogether. But, yeah. um, but again, it, I do not look back on this time and say, oh man, I wish Ole Miss had won those games. It would have been more fun. It's a mother and a son and we're in the grove and we're eating chicken and it's great. And I'm just, I'm ready to get back to that. And I just hope everybody stays safe and, and we can get back there responsibly whatever that looks like yes yeah, you know martin to, now that i've had a chance to think about the answer the answer to your question is I, i'm going to listen to the doctors i'm going to listen to the medical people um i'm, I'm not going to listen to the politicians i'm going to listen to the doctors and if they say it's safe to go back i'll go back we'll go back if they say it's not quite yet safe to go back then as much as it sucks it's not time to go back uh, you know it's it's one of my the one thing about sports is that I, I don't want I don't want us like the whole thing about can, taking all 30 Major League Baseball teams and sticking them in some place in Arizona where they can't see their families and they can't see their wives and their children and their dads and their moms, and, you know, where a guy has a Major League debut. And, you know, what, what's the magic of a Major League debut? It's the picture of the parents in the stands, the wife in the stands, the girlfriend in the stands, whatever, the brother in the stands. And they're all in tears because. They've been with this kid since he was six years old at T-ball games and all those travel baseball games to Birmingham and Memphis and Nashville and wherever and all the minor league stuff and the college experience or the high school games or whatever. And then here it is. He's in the batter's box for the Seattle Mariners and his name is getting called. And I don't if you're going to take all the families out of that, it's not time to play yet. Maybe we should wait until it's time to play because, you know, the uh, the, the kid from that, that pitched at Auburn a couple of years ago who's in the Tiger system, whose name's escaping me right now, whose dad is such a nice person. And this is awful radio or podcasting. <laughs> I can't think of his name. He was the pitched at Auburn. He was the first pick in the draft. The Tigers took him. And anyway, um, when he makes his major league debut, his dad's got to be there. His mom's got to be there. Uh, they got to be there. Otherwise, it's not special the way it ought to be for everybody involved. And that's what sports are supposed to be about. When Bo Wallace throws the pass to Jalen Walton, Bo Wallace's parents have to be there. Jalen Walton's dad and mom have to be there. It's just 
if they can't, if they can't, if that can't be, then we're not ready for it yet. And as much as that sucks, we'll know when it's time. I, I think that's the answer to your question. I totally respect that, man. And I, I think you're right. I think there is a lot of pageantry, um, you know I mean? And so Alex, it's funny. I kind of, I have, I have my oldest son plays competitive soccer, but my, my youngest, she's a kindergartner and we didn't think that she was going to be an athlete at all. She was not interested at all in anything that had to do with, you know, a stick or a ball. She was more interested in, you know, she's kind of artsy. And uh, this year she asked to play soccer, which I grew up playing soccer, played in college. And so I was just like, <gasps> my heart was like exploding. And I was, you know, and she wanted me to coach her team. And I was like, okay. And then we would get out there and, you know, she wouldn't do anything. And the last game we got to play, and we only got to play like four games before our season wrapped up because of, this stuff. And the last game, the other team was short a player and her, some of her friends were over there and um, on the other team and from school. And so I asked her, Hey, will you play on this other team so that, you know, we can play this game. And she says, sure. First goal that she ever scores is against me uh, on the other team. But, you know, I mean, I know that that's not, you know, a major league debut, but you know, there is a bunch of, there's pride and pageantry and, and things that happen in sports, even at the youth level, you know, the first, home run, the first goal, the, all those things. And I'm on board with you guys. I think, you know, when it's time, it's time. Alex, thanks so much for being with us today. Really appreciate it. Yes, uh, thank good you. luck. To, good luck to you. Good luck to with, uh, with the rest of kindergarten and your experience. And uh, thanks again so much for, for your time. Big fan of your work. And as I told you the other day, you're, you're going to land on your feet. I have absolutely zero doubt, and uh, the people that, that get to read your stuff will uh, will be excited to see your byline again. I know that. Well, thank you. This was so much fun, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. For Alex McDaniel, for Martin Paloma, I'm Neil McCready. Until next time, that does it for this edition of Mind on My Money, presented by Pinnacle Trust. Don't forget, pintrust.com, P-I-N-N trust.com. Until next time, take care.